Where do you rest when leaving one home for another? Where do you go when you find yourself in a home that is unsafe, unstable, unpromising? What do you do when your home is lonely? Welcome home, y'all. My name is Journey Harris, and this is At Home, the podcast, where we explore concepts of home through the stories of people around the globe. You might have noticed I did not say weekly podcast, and that's because I haven't given y'all a podcast in a couple of weeks. I think this month has taught me that time really is a social construct, and I'm in marathon mode. I'm in the mindset to do what I need to do to sustain myself and sustain my work and not put out quick content just for the sake of uh, what other people will consider consistent. Um, I want to give you quality every single time. And so I'm really happy to be back and share this episode with you. This episode is the first installation of a series I'm calling At Home With Journey. I'll be doing mini episodes where there's no guest, no interview, just me and the story that I've prepared for you. And I'm so excited to share. So settle in, make yourself at home. Today, I want to tell you a story. I can recall spending a majority of my childhood sleeping in cars. My mother loved to drive and I loved to sleep. So road trips became a natural ritual for the two of us. Honestly, I can say I feel at home in the backseat of a car. As I got older, I was forced to migrate from the backseat to the passenger seat because my mother, and these were her words, was not my chauffeur. Regardless of the seating, something about being in transit, going from one place to the next, always brought me excitement. My mom and I would take road trips from North Florida to South Florida, visiting great aunties and uncles. A couple times we journeyed from Jacksonville to Atlanta when hurricane season came and we had to evacuate our apartment. But the most notorious of our road trips were the 13 plus hour drives from Florida to DC. Every summer break or winter holiday, I would leave my home in the suburbs of Duval County for my home in DC. If I was lucky, someone would secure a round trip flight for me and I would romp around Jacksonville International Airport with the esteem and the privilege that only a nine-year-old experienced solo flyer has. But other times money came up short and time became abundant, so the feasible option was to make the drive. It was never a burden for me, I didn't drive. My only responsibilities were to keep my mother company and hand her snacks while she drove. We'd leave the house around 3 or 4 a.m. when it was still dark and traffic was non-existent. We would pack up the car with luggage, blankets, and a lunchbox with oatmeal packets, fruit, and tea. She'd hop on 95, I'd nod off for a bit, and I'd wake up a few hours later to the rising sun parallel to the road. Honestly, God bless the old days when I would ride in the back seat with a portable DVD player in my lap, watching episodes of Hello Kitty and Friends back to back. When I got older, I'd read my books aloud to my mom, and almost always we'd listen to a strange conglomerate of music, like Fall Out Boy, which was my choice, Brian McKnight, my mom's choice, and Donnie McClurklin, a favorite of ours both. The trip was never dull, and in time, the route became second nature. So when you're driving, or in my case, riding from Florida to D.C., there are four states you must pass before entering the district. Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia. It was pretty much a straight shot up I-95, and with the four-page printout of MapQuest as our guide, if you know, you know, 
And me serving as co-pilot, we trekked up north like pros. We'd stop every now and then for french fries for me, coffee for mom. And right before we hit North Carolina, we'd stop at this awful, slightly racist theme park called South of the Border, where the two of us would wander around this tacky pseudo-Mexican town and pretend we had not been in the car for seven hours, but were transported to Guadalajara. Road trips were my source of delight, and they were always timely, too. When I became exhausted with school or tired of my mom, as most teen girls who live with their mother do, I could look forward to having my relief in D.C. In D.C., I would be staying with my dad, and because he only saw me for about 65 days out of the entire year, he would have no rules for me. I could expect him to buy me anything I wanted, and I could watch TV without having to be interrupted to wash the one singular spoon left in the sink. D.C. was the place where I could be a version of myself that I wasn't able to be in Florida. It was my home where I could wear all of the absurd clothing that my classmates would have laughed at me for wearing in Florida. Like, if I were to wear a bright red turban with ripped jeans and a pair of Crocs, I would practically be stoned. In D.C., however, anything goes as long as you're confident. In D.C., I always felt confident. It was there I was surrounded by black people all of the time, an experience that was rare for me in Jacksonville. So on these 13-hour road trips, I'd dream about what the D.C. summers or winters would bring. What would I wear? Who would I meet? Who would I become? Maybe I'd meet a cute boy in my summer camp and we'd go on dates to the Arboretum. Or if it was winter break, maybe it would snow on Christmas and my sister and I would make angels in the snow after opening up all of our gifts, you know, like they do in the movies. From the comfort of my mom's Corolla, I'd conjure up all of these ideas of how my time would be spent when I reached my destination. And to be honest, upon arrival into D.C., my excitement plateaued as I began to remember the moments, the characteristics, and the ways of this city that I call my second home that made me feel uncomfortable. I recalled the way young boys on the metro would stare me down like prey, something I wasn't accustomed to because in Florida I wasn't even glanced at. The way beggars in the street practically harass you for spare change, even if you're a kid with no money. The way the choir at the church we frequented sang slightly off pitch. I started to remember the way my family in D.C. would make comments about my body, like, Journey, you've lost weight. You're not throwing up your food, are you? And the way that all of my clothes would live in a big suitcase placed awkwardly in the middle of my father's bedroom because I did not own a dresser or a closet or have my own room. I remembered the way D.C. heat was muggy and disgusting and my grandma feared me going outside in extreme temperatures so I would probably be spending all of my time indoors. Upon arrival, I realized that the idea of coming home is much more pleasant than actually being there. The idea of coming home is filled with expectations, longing, and hope. The dreams I had were often greater than what my second home had the capacity to give me. But I didn't think of that when I was 12 in the backseat of my mom's car daydreaming about how amazing the summer was going to be or how magical the winter was going to be. I had hours and hours and miles and miles to conjure up expectations, set standards, and build optimism. And reality would strike. Every summer, every winter break, there would be no summer fling or white Christmases. 
In reality, I spent my summers in D.C. attending theater camps or choir camps during the weekday, watching countless hours of Bad Girls Club and Spongebob in the evening, and on the weekends, I was in church. That's about it. That was my truth from 2007 to 2017 every summer and most winters. A small part of me was disappointed because the reality was the home I loved so much and placed on a pedestal was not perfect. And now I'm an adult and I live in D.C. permanently. I haven't done a road trip in almost four years and I no longer have a home in Jacksonville. And I find it hilarious and admirable that my younger self had these high expectations for D.C. and for her family who did the best they could at the time. But I think my younger self found the answer to a question that I am just now beginning to ask. And the question is, where do you rest when leaving one home for another? Where do you go when you find yourself in a home that is unsafe, unstable, unpromising? What do you do when your home is lonely and you can't go outside, maybe because of the heat, like my grandma would warn me, or... Maybe because of, I don't know, unprecedented times. And the answer my 12-year-old self discovered is hope. You rest in hope. You cling to hope. My younger self was so optimistic. I saw the bright side in any and everything, and my faith was so strong. This world has the ability to beat the faith out of you, tear the joy from your grasp, and rob you of your hope, too. And I know this podcast is about home, But without hope, you're living in a graveyard. You're done. My quest to find home is only fueled by my hope that there is a place greater than where I currently exist. I am learning to affirm myself that I am not childish for being hopeful. I am not naive for wanting to see a better world and doing what I need to do to see that. In fact, reclaiming my optimism from the claws of a cynical world that tries to tell me that this is all life can be is an act of resilience and strength. Now, I don't resent my childhood homes for not meeting the expectations in my head. And I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect home, but there is always something better. And this month has been hard in many ways. I think I'm in a transition. I think I'm in between two places. And until I arrive at the place where I'm supposed to be, I'm leaning into hope. I'm dreaming like I've never dreamt before because I'm allowed to be excited about where my life is going. So I'm not too focused on the arrival. That's not the exciting part. The exciting part, the part that I will remember every single detail of, is this in-between. It's the passenger seat on a very long trip where the road stretches for miles and hope is limitless and time feels abundant. And every dream, big or small, feels nothing short of possible. And that's where I'm at right now. So that was the first At Home with Journey episode. I'll be sprinkling in these mini episodes every now and then because it's nice for me to share my own story as well. I hope you know that your story matters if you haven't known that by now. Next episode will be more traditional. I have a guest, we'll have a conversation, we'll get to know them and their ideas of home. For now, check out At Home the Podcast online for resources. And I think for this episode, I'll add my road trip playlist. It'll be weird, it'll be great. We also have an Instagram now, At Home the Podcast on Instagram. Follow and keep up with us there. 
Finally, my hope for you is that you're well, you're safe, and that you remain faithful through it all, even in the in-between. Thank you for listening to At Home, the podcast. Come back anytime you want and know that you are always welcome here. Bye now.